Good morning, everyone. Uh, glad to be with you. Glad to be together as a church family. Wanted to just uh, highlight a couple things. Uh, baptism, we're hoping to celebrate some baptisms on Easter Sunday. So if God's been moving in your life, if you've given your life to Christ, but you've never declared that in baptism, talk to Pastor Garth or myself or any one of, for that matter, and we'll make sure we get you wet. So... That'd be great to celebrate that on Easter. And I just wanted to recognize the last week with the, the team that had been in India and the amazing job that they did sharing and stirring our hearts to think about what it means to be a people who are on mission with God everywhere. And so I just wanted to really say thank you to that team. And uh, it was awesome. I got to be a part of it from a distance. I was at Metro Church last Sunday uh, as we walked together with our sister churches in this community. Last Sunday I was uh, speaking at Metro Church in downtown uh, as, uh, as our representative of walking with them during a season of change that they're going through. So what do you bring into the room this morning? What's going on in your heart? Everybody's got a story, right? Everybody had a few things happen already this morning or yesterday or at some point this week. There's stuff going on in our city. There's stuff going on in our province. There's stuff going on in our nation. There's stuff going on in the world. Would you still your heart? Lift those things up before the Lord and just say, God, would you speak into them today and work for your glory in this world? Let's pray. Yeah, Lord, we still ourselves before you all the things that we can be worried about, fearful about, um, anxious about, uncertain about, you're the Lord. And we confess to you our deep need for you. We confess, Lord, that uh, this city needs you, this province needs you, this country needs you, this world needs you. So, Lord, where there's brokenness, where there's fear, where there's sickness, where there's conflict, would you speak your peace and show us how to be faithful to you in the spaces and places you've put us? Thank you, God, for your love for us. Thank you that you love this world so much you sent your son. Awaken our eyes today, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Any Vancouver Canucks fans in the room? All right. In 1970, the Vancouver Canucks and the Buffalo Sabres joined the NHL together at the same time, 50 years ago. And the NHL declared that the first choice in the draft that year and the chance to choose a young French-Canadian named Gilbert Perrault would be decided by the spinning of a roulette wheel. And the Sabres won. And of course, the Canucks have been still trying to win anything ever since. All right. Now, Gilbert Perrault played his entire career in Buffalo and is now a member of the Hockey Hall of Fame. And the Canucks drafted a guy named Dave Tallon, who played three years for Vancouver. The lot had been cast, and the decision stuck. In 2004, the National Hockey League locked out their players. And there was no regular season, there was no playoffs, there was no Stanley Cup. Many resorted to watching poker on TV for the first time. <laughs> mainly because watching paint dry was too much like work. And it was a sad year. How many of you actually, honestly, 
actually started watching poker for the first time because there was no hockey games on. Uh-huh. Yes, there's a few of you who are honest. That's good. Um, now, before the 2005 season, however, a major decision had to be made because a generational talent was about to enter the league. His name was Sidney Crosby. And so, this is the guy who would eventually score the golden goal for Canada 10 years ago at the Vancouver Olympics. But how would it get decided who would get to choose him? Because there was no regular season to determine who the worst team had been the year before. And so it was decided that every team would have a chance. Every team would have a chance, and the odds would be shaped by how many times teams had been in the playoffs or chosen first overall in the previous four years. And so at a made-for-television event, it came down to two teams, the Anaheim Ducks and the Pittsburgh Penguins. And the after the oblig obligatory uh, tension-filled commercial break, the lottery ball fell to the Pittsburgh Penguins, who have gone on to win three Stanley Cups with Crosby as their captain. The lot had been cast, and the decision stuck. Now, every culture, every organization, and actually every family, has to find a way to make decisions that stick without it, chaos reigns. You have to have a way of making decisions. And we've been looking at the city of Ephesus, this city of change, who had undergone enormous transformation over the years. Political ownership of the city of Ephesus shifted on average about every 125 years. Ephesus became a Roman city because the king of Pergamon, Attalus, who was ruling Ephesus in the 2nd and 3rd centuries BC, left, Rome, left the city of Ephesus to Rome in his will in 129 BC. Now think about that. Think about it. Think about being an Ephesian and you wake up one morning and you discover that your hometown, the great city of Artemis, is now controlled by another political power. There you go. Change is forced. You have to deal with it. The lot has been cast, and the decision sticks. Now, this is not uncommon in history. Austrians woke up on March the 12th, 1938, and discovered that they were under the control of Nazi Germany. And that very day, Jews were forced to scrub the name of Austria off the sidewalks. On December the 25th, 1991, Mikhail Gorbachev signed a declaration ending 70 years of Soviet rule over Eastern Europe and Central Asia. The next day, former Soviet republics like Tajikistan, Uzbekistan, Kyrgyzstan, Kazakhstan found themselves as independent nations for the first time ever. Many peoples have had their political reality decided by others. Iraq, Israel and Palestine, Yugoslavia, Czechoslovakia, Hong Kong, Malaysia. Some of these have been undone. Some of these countries don't even exist. You can't go to Czechoslovakia anymore. You can go to Czech Republic and Slovakia, but you can't go to Czechoslovakia. And some of these things, like as I said, they've been undone. And some current conflicts in the world are still the result of these political decisions. The point is this. Decisions get made somewhere, and those decisions affect you. We made a decision as a family to move to Kelowna. That decision impacts our kids. The lot is cast, and the decision sticks. 
Maybe decisions outside of your control have impacted your life as well. A spouse made a decision to leave. The lot was cast and the decision sticks. A bank made a decision about your application. And this is a lot has been cast and the decision sticks. Your employer makes a decision about your job and the lot has been cast and the decision sticks. A teacher makes a decision on your project which has implications for where you can go to school next and the lot has been cast and a decision sticks. You see, we think, we think we're choosing our own identities and destinies all the time. We think this. And yet, many times we're simply responding to and managing change that is forced on us from somewhere else. Does this resonate? Two weeks ago, we discovered this wonderful news that God has chosen and adopted us into his family. It's all grace and it's all gift. That song, You're Beautiful, that always moves me, that song. Like, it's just, it's all about the greatness of God and just like, like he's chosen us. He's brought us in and the, the beauty of the Lord magnifies in front of us. God's choice to adopt us makes us full participants in his plan to unite all things together under Christ. This is what Ephesians is talking about. When we become disciples of Jesus, we are part of God's church, his ecclesia. That's the Greek word for church. It's his distinct communion of saints. The full power and authority and spiritual blessing of heaven now belongs to the saints. It's an incredible thought. And for Ephesians who knew that Caesar Augustus ruled because he had been adopted into the family of Julius Caesar, this is a phenomenal consideration. The true Lord of history was working out his plan to restore and bring all things together under Christ, and now that included them in the city of change. If you've given your life to Christ, if you're sitting here this morning, or you're going to listen to this later, if you have given your life to Christ, this promise of identity and standing includes you, regardless of the changes that may have been thrust upon you in your life or will yet come, because there's probably more coming, right? If you recall as well, in Ephesians chapter 1, verses 3 to 14, and hopefully you have your scriptures along this morning, uh, Ephesians chapter 1, Verses 3 to 14 is one long run-on sentence when Paul writes this. It's like the great grammatical faux pas. It's way too long as a run-on sentence. You can't hold your breath long enough to read it. But these opening words of Paul's letter are more actually kind of like a song. They're a celebration. And a couple weeks ago, we stopped at verse 10. And so we're going to pick up the end of this initial song now with verses 11 to 14. They're going to be up here. Could we read them together? Let's read together. In him we were also chosen, having been predestined according to the plan of him who works out everything in conformity with the purpose of his will, in order that we, who were the first to put our hope in Christ, might be for the praise of his glory. And you also were included in Christ when you heard the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation. When you believed, you were marked in him with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit, 
who is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possession to the praise of his glory. Now this song is good news heaped upon good news. The literal translation of verse 11 in the Greek language reads like this in very clumsy English. Just try to follow along. In whom, Christ, indeed we were lot cast, having already been pre-horizoned according to divine purpose of the one energizing all things according to the counsel arising from his will. Now that's really clumsy English. And you can see the challenge that translators have to take a language, an ancient language like Greek, and put it into a language that we'll understand. And this is, this, this clumsy English Within this way of seeing it, we begin to expose the crucial point that Paul is making to the Ephesians and to, and to us. Now listen, the stability of the Roman Empire was built on the rule of Lord Caesar. The title that Christians began to apply to Jesus. It's really a phenomenal thing that is hard for us to grasp just how earth-shattering that was that this group of Christians who are the minority of the minorities within the culture are calling a risen Jew from Palestine, Judea, Lord. That's a phenomenal statement they're making. And so, uh, and so the, the stability of the Roman Empire was built on Lord Caesar, with, which the Christians were now starting to change. And Rome was also built on something called the Twelve Tables. There were 12 great legal declarations that still influence actually the way the rule of law happens even in many Western cultures like, like ours. So the Jews had their 10 commandments and the Romans had their 12 tables. That's a good way to compare it and think about it. Now the 12 tables were first established in 449 BC, so about 500 years before Jesus was born. And it guided trials and judgments, and it guided the exchange of property, how funerals even would happen, uh, how neighbors should treat each other at different points, and it actually even included how spiritual incantations can be used. Like if you were going to place an incantation on your neighbor, the, the 12 tables actually guided what you could or could not do. Okay? So table four and table five were very crucial to the stability of the Roman Empire because it included rights of succession and family identity and how this would be guarded in Roman culture. And so in table four, it was all about the paterfamilias. If you remember that, I mentioned that a couple weeks ago. It's the male headship of the household in Roman culture. And a Roman father held power of life and death over his wife and children. And this is why Paul's words about God adopting us into his family were so powerful to Ephesian ears. Because it meant God had surrendered his own son to set those enslaved to sin free so that they could be children with full rights under the greatest Lord and Father of all. Can you grasp how phenomenal a thought that would have been? But even more shocking for Romans, this right was granted to both women and men, boys and girls. Because far from enshrining paternalistic domination, the gospel of Jesus came into an already paternalistic Roman Empire and set a trajectory of a different kind of life in light of Christ. And we're going to see more of this in this letter as it progresses. 
Because under Jesus' rule, those made in the image of God, both male and female, were brought to unity in rights and privilege. And then there was table five, which was all about inheritance and guardianship, or how identity and authority would be passed on. And these inheritance laws were crucial for the continuance of Roman society. After all, you don't just let anybody take over the paterfamilias. And so Roman inheritance laws were deeply important. And if you think of receiving an inheritance today, how many of you have have had an inheritance passed to you from parents or those who have passed on before you? Or some of you are waiting with bated breath for what that could possibly mean. So if we think of receiving an inheritance in our culture today, we probably mostly, first of all, think about stuff or dollars. We think about that stuff that's going to come to me. Who gets the house? Who gets investments? All those things. And you're probably thinking about all of those pieces and how are we going to work it out with the siblings, right? Now, we think about it that way, but you're probably not thinking about who gets the social standing that your parents earned. We don't think about it this way. Who gets their Canadian citizenship, for instance? Or the corner office that your mother rose to occupy? Who gets that social standing? We don't think about it that way. But in Rome, in Rome, it meant that not just stuff, but the rights, authority, and social standing that had been earned was passed on and preserved. And here's where Paul's song is such good news. I hope you're catching it. Because verse 11 literally says that in Christ we have been lot cast. And lot, the lot is cast and the decision is set. One translation, the English Standard Version says, in Christ we have an inheritance. The NIV that we read says, in Christ we were also chosen. The word there is klero, which is literally to appoint by lot casting. If a person died, the inheritance would be equally divided among the sons with a lot cast, like literally a roulette wheel spun or the flipping of a coin to decide who got what. And the cast, and this is cast, and the decision is set. And you get what you get and you don't get upset. It's essentially what happens. And this was a common ancient practice. The 12 tables were the way that the lot was cast in Roman culture. And it's how successive stability would be maintained in Roman society. And everyone accepted and expected that the binding decisions made in this way were simply the way things were done. And so clerero, that inheritance word, became that word. It became inheritance. The way things were passed on, the way the lottery ball fell. And this is what makes the hope of the gospel so incredible because God has cast the lot and made his decision. God predetermined his will, his pre-horizoned, pre-ordained plan, his pre-authorized set way of bringing out his divine will was to offer up his legitimate begotten son to set people like us free from the slavery to sin to adopt us into his family, and to give us full inheritance rights that originally only belonged to the Son. Oh, 
Are you getting this? I hope you are. And this is the great shock of hope. Ours is a full inheritance greater than Caesar offered. This predetermined purpose of God is available not only to the head of the household, but to women and men, to latter-born and firstborn, to Jew and Gentile, to all under slavery to sin, to all who hear the Father's call. This is good news for all. You're beautiful. Mm. Now, why would God do this? Why would God do this? Well, Ephesians 1 verse 12 says that it is in order that we might be for the praise of his glory. God does this for the praise of his glory. God will be elevated, you see, above other lords, above other idols, above other systems in all of history when people awake to the incredible standing that God has secured for them by offering his son and giving full inheritance rights of adopted sons and daughters to all who come. In Ephesus, people could only have dreamt of Caesar adopting them into the family. But in Christ, says Paul, the creator and the Lord of history has raised your standing by making you his own. What you now have been given is the full standing of the call of God, a child of God. You are an heir. The lot is cast. The decision is set. You're the number one draft pick. Now, you were created to live a life to the praise and glory of your heavenly Father, to carry his authority and responsibility. You were intended to be for the praise of his glory, not to defend the honor of Artemis or to prop up Roman superiority, which will come and go. Your life has a greater purpose than that. You could take responsibility as an heir and a member of the ecclesia. Your little life, my little life was meant to elevate God the Father in the city of change through God's family. You are his, so live out your inheritance, awaken others to what can be theirs because of Christ. Now, how do we know this is true? Well, Ephesians chapter 1, verses 13 and 14, which we read together, says that we come into this inheritance by faith, verse uh, 13, and you also were included in Christ when you heard the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation, when you believed, when you believed. So this is crucial because we come into this inheritance by faith, by believing, by accepting this new way of understanding and seeing the world. You have a way that you see the world and understand ultimate things. And so belief and faith means you change your mind and you start to actually, I actually believe what God says rather than what I say or that philosophy I've read says or that other religious perspective says, whatever it was or irreligious perspective, doesn't matter. I've now changed my mind. I actually believe this is true. And so the good news is that you don't earn your way in, you trust your way in. How, how does earning your way in go anyway? It turns to self-beating up. 
I can never do it. I can never earn my way in. And God says, it's because you don't have to. The son paid the price. So now you can trust your way into the family. And this believing faith reorients what is ultimate truth and authority and is the gateway to inheritance. And when we do this, Paul says, then God seals us. He puts a deposit within us that guarantees that the lot has been cast. So if you, if you make a large purchase, if you're going to go out and have some shopping to do this afternoon or this week, and you need to make a large purchase, sometimes, you know, what you're asked to do, you're asked to pay a part of it up front, right? The deposit. It's a sign that it's yours, okay? And it's also a sign that the business will follow through on what they're going to do for you, right? So I'll say, you put 10% down and we'll order that thing and make it available to you, and then you pay the difference, right? And this is what in a sense, is happening here. God gives the Spirit as a deposit that what he has begun in making you his child with full rights and responsibilities and inheritance rights will be completed. But God does even better than the store you're going to go to. God does better. Because he just doesn't give you 10% down payment. He gives you his breath. He gives you his Spirit. He gives you all of himself. All of it. The Holy Spirit, God living within us, is the seal that we are God's possession, that we are his family and possess an inheritance beyond an imagination. So when a first round draft pick in the NHL stands on the stage, his name's called, he gets up there, they put a sweater on him, right? There he is. I'm now a member of the Vancouver Canucks. Look at me, right? And they have yet to play a game, but they belong right? And the lot has been cast and the decision has been set, but God does better and goes further. When you come into his family, he doesn't label you. He doesn't put a shirt on you. He puts his breath within you. God's predetermined set plan is to make your life like the life of his son by putting his breath is his Holy Spirit into you. The Holy Spirit is not put on like a sweater. The Holy Spirit dwells within you as the guarantee that God shares not only his son with you, but his power. The same power in verse 20, it'll say, that raised Jesus from the dead. <laughs> so imagine the power that could raise Jesus from the dead living in you. If you knew that was true, what would change? If that resurrecting power is in you, and that's your inheritance guarantee, what does that change? And so listen, when you hear the message of Jesus and you say, I believe that, I, that suddenly never before made sense, but now this makes sense. I believe this to be true. You, in that moment, you receive God's Holy Spirit. It is the deposit in you, guaranteeing the full freedom, rights, and privileges that belong to Jesus Christ, God the Son, that someday will come to full guarantee when we get to glory. And when we share before God the exact same standing, rights and privileges and authority as God the Son, the lot is cast and the decision is set. And this, my friends, has always been God's plan and no city of change can, can thwart that. Now listen, 
the reason many of us limp through life defeated and downcast and disturbed is because we have never sung this song. We have assumed we're always needing to prove ourselves, always needing to fight. But the lowly Ephesians in the city of change to an unlikely mix of Jew and Gentiles, Paul says, you are sons and daughters, you are heirs, you have been given the Holy Spirit. You are for the praise of the glory of your heavenly Father. This is who you are, now start acting like it for the sake of the city of change. Start living the Christ-like life because Christ-like standing is what you have. I remember this being a crucial piece in my freedom from two things in my life. One was my low self-image as a teenager because of my weight. And I had been given the nickname by a bunch of my friends, the Philsbury Doughboy. Yeah. Now imagine, I could laugh on the outside, but internally, what's that doing? Okay? So I had this low self-image about who I was. So that was the first thing I needed freedom from. The second thing was my flirtation with pornography. But when I started to trust the Spirit's voice and started believing what Christ-likeness, that, or that Christ-likeness was my standing and my call, both my self-identity that I was allowing to be shaped by the voice of others, and my character that was being shaped by my own choices began to shift, and I started living into my inheritance. And this is crucial, because God's purpose for us is Christ-likeness. Now, very often when we hear that, we think, oh, I must behave better. How am I going to be more like Jesus? Oh, this is the thing. You have already been gifted Christ-likeness. You don't earn it. You are it. Before the King of Kings, we are like God's only begotten Son. And so our lives should look like the life of Jesus. And we have the Holy Spirit, the same Spirit that raised Jesus from the dead, living inside of us to bring this about. God's purpose for your life is Christ-likeness. God's purpose for us is that, is that our lives look like Jesus because Jesus won us the same rights and privileges that he has. This is a phenomenal thought. In a world that has turned topsy-turvy, the invitation of God is not to a new system or ideology. It is to a different life altogether. The Christ-like life because you have a Christ-like standing and inheritance. The lot is cast and the decision is set. And we can either believe this or keep believing another idea or system in the city of change. And this is why verses 3 to 14 is this long run-on sentence that is a song. Because news like this deserves a run-on sentence where you can't catch your breath. And then Paul prays, verses 15 to 23. For this reason... Ever since I heard about your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for God's people, I have not stopped giving thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers. I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, 
may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you may know him better. I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance in his holy people, and his comparably great power for those of us who believe. That power is the same as the mighty strength he exerted when he raised Christ from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly realms, far above all rule and authority, power and dominion, and every name that is invoked, not only in this present age, but also in the one to come. And God placed all things under his feet and appointed him to be head over every, everything for the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills everything in every way. It's a powerful word. Listen, Paul's deep cry is that believers understand their inheritance. Paul prays that the Ephesians, in verse 17, may know God better. Don't you want to know the Father who has adopted you and made you an heir better and better? Don't you want to know this Father better? The Spirit of God you see in you will urge you toward the knowing of this God. In this crazy shifting age that we're living in, you're never going to keep up on the myriad of changing opinions, but you can know the unchanging King of Kings better and better and better. And aren't you hungering for this? What are you doing about it? If you're living in defeat, living beneath your dignity, living by a label of the world rather than by the label given by your heavenly Father, you will remain stuck and unchanged in the city of change. And I pray with Paul that you might have wisdom and revelation through the Spirit to know your Father better and bitter so that you can start living from the truth of your inheritance in Christ. Stop living from the weight that has been bequeathed to you by your family history or by your cultural history or by your own limited efforts or by your own poor choices. Decisions have been made that impact our choices, that impact the borders of our lives, but God has made a decision in Christ to change it all for you, for us and for this world. Know him better. And then Paul also prays that the Ephesians might truly see what is truly hope. You need to look in the mirror, you see. <laughs> we need to look in the mirror and have like the blinders taken off of us when we look at ourselves and when we look at the church. We all need to have old labels stripped off of us so that we know the hope of the inheritance, the way the lot has been truly cast. A great power, you see, has completely shifted our reality. The power of God has shifted us from sinners to saints, from slave to child, from darkness to light, from death to life. And the labels of this world are fleeting and they will never last. They have no power to change us. They just become sweaters we wear until another one attracts us or is forced upon us. And we need our eyes opened to see that a great power, the same power that raised Jesus from the dead is now my life source. And here's where Paul says something crucial, and we'll come back to this in the next few weeks. Jesus, in verse 20 and 21, Jesus, who secured our Christ-like inheritance, has set, has the seat of greatest authority in the heavenly realms. Did you catch that when we're reading it? 
He is seated high above the heaven. He's seated in the heavenly realms above every rule and authority, every dominion, every power. Because you know what the Ephesians would say? The Ephesians would say, sure, but Artemis is great, and great is Artemis. And Jesus sits above her. And then they say, yeah, but Caesar is Lord, and he holds authority. And Paul says, no, 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 Jesus sits above Caesar. And we might say in our culture, because we hear this all the time, but secular humanism gets to rule. And Jesus sits above secular humanism, above every power and dominion, above every name that is invoked, above every worldview that demands allegiance in this present age and in the age to come. And Jesus outlasted Artemis, and Jesus outpaced Caesar, and he remained after the Soviet Union, and Jesus will outlast the crumbling Western democracies and the hopeless secular humanism that you're told is the be-all and end-all. God has placed Jesus as head over everything. God has put his son in charge because a new family, a new ecclesia, a Christ-like humanity has always been his goal. And so the adopted children of God must awake and see that Jesus is elevated above he- head over everything for the sake of the church. And who is the church? Paul says the church is the body of Christ in the world. The ongoing presence of Christ-likeness. It is through the heirs, through the Christ-like ones, that God seeks to fill this world, this city of change, with a new reality. God is seeking, you see, to bring all things together under Christ. Every other Lord will eventually be found wanting, will eventually let you down or lead you astray. So wake up. See the inheritance and the hope that is yours. Live your inherited standing and responsibility as Jesus' body in the world. Be the child, be the heir, the Christ-like for the praise of our glorious Father. The lot has been cast and the decision has been set. God's purpose for you and I is Christ-likeness. Stop living like a pauper. The lot is cast. The decision is set. What do you believe? You still your heart. Man, there's so much we could pray for, but I pray that in this moment you pray for you to start. Are the eyes of your heart opened? Do you desire to know him better and better, this father? Have you been seeking to earn your way, prove your way, have your way defended, have your rights preserved? You have a greater inheritance than the one you can make up. Jesus, we declare you the hope of the world. We lift you high because you're seated at the right hand of the Father, seated above all dominions and powers and authorities, above everything. You are the risen Lord. You gave yourself for us so that we could come into the family of God, be given an inheritance that will never fade or run out. 
called and gifted to be Christ-like. Oh God, we give ourselves to you today. We humble ourselves. We pray, Father, that we would know you better, see you more clearly, and that we would be a people of love and compassion, authority and humility, a people to the praise of your glory in this place that you have set us, in this city of change, in this time in which we live. We receive the inheritance that has already been secured. Fill us with your Holy Spirit. Lead us for your glory, we pray. In the mighty name of Jesus and all God's people said,